Um, it's a great time to be in church, um, great, great season to be in church. Um, as you guys can tell, we got some, some Christmas stuff up, and we had just kind of finished up a lesson or a series for our year um, on To Be Continued, and we're actually going to spend the next few weeks uh, going through a Christmas uh, series. And I'm so we've had a little bulletins that you guys have been able to hand out and, and pass along to your friends. And so the next couple of weeks, it's going to be a really, a really fun series that we're looking forward to called Christmas Road Trip. Um, and so if you guys uh, would like to uh, invite to this, it's going to be a great opportunity just to, just to see you know, what this Christmas season is all about. Um, if you guys, I think in your guys' bulletins as well, I forgot to grab one up here today, but there should be something about a, a worship night that we have going on tonight. And I want to make sure I said something about that before I forgot. Perfect. Thank you, birthday boy. Um, this, is, uh, this is for our worship night tonight. It's at 5 o'clock. Um, and what's going to be really cool about it is we've never done something like this before here at the Crossings Church. And it's actually going to be a different kind of setting than we normally have. Um, I actually don't even know what's all involved with it because our worship team is kind of taking the lead on it. And uh, it's just an opportunity for them to just give us an experience. They, they went to a conference a couple weeks ago, and they brought a lot of things back. that They really just want to uh, have us send a message to our church about the things that we can learn from worship, the things that we can use in worship, and just the opportunity to experience worship in, in maybe a different setting. Um, what's also cool is that one of our partnering churches, the, the Crossings Interbelt, they're going to be sending a lot of their members over as well to join us as well tonight. And so it's going to be just a great opportunity for fellowship, for worship, um, and so if you have any friends that want to come and just sing some songs, if you would like to come back tonight, it's at 5 o'clock, and we're going to be excited to see you guys there. Um, so jumping into this sermon series, uh, Christmas, <coughs> sorry, um, Christmas Vacation, thinking about the holidays, thinking about Christmas, I kind of have a little pop quiz for you guys, and you can just kind of raise your hand, it's a, it's a, it's a multiple choice questions, but what percentage of Americans do you feel travel for Christmas? 25%, 33%, or 42%? Okay, so how many of you guys think 25%? A quarter of Americans travel for Christmas. Nobody, hey? How about a third? How many of you guys think of a third of Americans? Oh, we got a bunch of followers in here. I saw two or three hands, and then you guys are a little crowd followers, huh? All right, and what about 42? You think 40% travel? Okay, the answer is 33%, right? Everybody's so happy, right? You're going to get a piece of candy at the end if you get the highest score. Um, <clears throat> yeah, 33% of Americans travel. So a third of Americans travel on Christmas. Okay? Now, what is the most traveled day of the year? What is the most traveled day of the year? That's land and air. Is it December 23rd, December 24th, or January 1st? Okay? You think it's, who thinks it's December 23rd? Okay? Who thinks it's December 24th? Who thinks it's January 1st? The right answer is December 23rd. Okay? December 23rd. December 23rd. Okay? And the last question is how far do you think is the, the average Christmas trip, the average mileage for a Christmas trip? Is it 150 miles, 250 miles, or 275 miles? What is, the, what is the average distance that an American will travel for their Christmas holiday, okay? So how many of you think it's 150 miles? How many think it's 250 miles? Okay, and how many think it's 275 miles? All right, the answer is 275 miles, okay? 275 miles, right? 
That's crazy to think because a lot of us, we probably don't travel much. And if we do, it's just down the road to, you know, a family member's house. But 275 miles, I guess that makes sense when they kind of factor in like flights and things like that. They got to balance those out. Um, so it's crazy to think about these numbers and to think about just how, how many Americans travel and, and, how, and how far they're willing to travel and, and how frequently that, that they travel for these things. And it seems fitting because this topic that we're talking about, <coughs> the Christmas road trip, it's fitting because you look at the nativity scene and when you see the nativity scene around Christmas time, you can see it popped up in front of churches and some people have the scenes and they set them up in their houses and, and you see that it's like a, it's a peaceful, it's a quiet, it's a very still moment um, during Christmas time that we tend to look at. But the reality is, is if you actually understand and, and, and realize what's happening at the nativity scene, every single person there is traveling. That nobody's there at that destination. The only person that would actually probably stay where they're at would, would have been the innkeeper that kind of pointed them towards the stable where they, where they gave birth to Jesus. But everybody else in that scene is, is on a journey. They're traveling from point A to point B. Um, and, it's, and it's crazy, I think, because we look at that scene and we, and we feel like, oh, this is so peaceful. We like to set it up and we like to set the stage at Christmas because this, this is something that we need to remember at this time. But the reality is, is that we're setting up something that was literally going and passing. And, and they were all going somewhere. They were all looking for something or they were all listening to someone. And so just to kind of briefly run through just all the scenarios of the people that we see at the nativity scene, Joseph and Mary were on a journey to register for the census, right? And so in that time, uh, Caesar had, had appointed people to, to do the census to, to pay taxes. They had to go back to their hometowns. And since, since Joseph was from the house of David, he had to go back to Bethlehem. And so they were actually on a journey to, to register for the census. And it says in Luke 2, 4, and 5, it says, because Joseph had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home, he traveled there from the village of Nazareth to Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who is now obviously pregnant. And so Joseph and Mary themselves were on a journey. It wasn't like the stable was like the hospital that they choose, chose to plant, right? It wasn't like we're going to go travel. Like most of us, like when we, when we have kids, we're not going to have a kid in Collinsville. We're going to have a kid in Troy or Eversville. We, we choose to go to Anderson or we're going to go to St. Louis. Or we're going to go to the hospitals and we make that trip to have a baby. They weren't necessarily hoping that this baby was going to come out, you know, on the way there. It wasn't like they were traveling to have this baby. They were actually in the middle of doing something else when this baby came out. The angels that were present at this time during the, you know, during, during this, necessarily the, not necessarily the, the scene, and that's something else we'll talk to a little bit, but the angels that are a part of this timeline were on a journey to announce the birth of Christ. It says in Luke 2, 8 through 11, it says, that night there were shepherds staying in fields nearby. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign, you will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. You see, the angels were on a journey as well. They were on a journey to announce and declare that this birth of Christ was happening and to, and to share that with people to be able to come and visit. And then we can trickle right over to those shepherds, right? Because the shepherds themselves were on a journey of clarification. They had just been told something, and they're going to try to figure out and go seek this thing out for themselves to get some clarification on what these angels said. In Luke 2.15, it says, When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord 
has told us about. So we see the shepherds don't stay stagnant either. The angels did their journey, they did their trip, now the shepherds are making their trip to make this thing happen and to go figure out where, where is this, let's go figure out what this Lord has told us about, let's go figure out what's going on. We have the Magi, right? An interesting point about the Magi is the Magi tend to be in that nativity scene, but the Magi actually weren't there during the birth of Jesus. But yet we put it in that scene. But still, they are a part of this journey because they become present soon after the baby's born. And it says (coughs) about the Magi, it says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. About that time were some wise men from eastern lands that arrived in Jerusalem, asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews we saw his star rose, and we have come to worship him. And so they, they aren't necessarily there during the birth, but they, they are on this mission because they know that this birth is happening. And, and they're a little delayed, you know, when they, when they show up. But ultimately, they are there, and they're making this trip. They're making a journey themselves because they want to worship this new king that they've been told about. So even them, they have this going on with their traveling. But not every part of the nativity scene or the nativity story is a journey that's, that's on good terms because we also have King Herod. And King Herod was on a journey to eliminate the new king. It says in Matthew 2, 3, it says, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, right? So King Herod and himself, he had, this, he had this journey going on because he had heard that there is maybe going to be a king. And if you know anything about King Herod's timeline and their lineage of kings, uh, it was not uncommon for this lineage to, to, to kill and murder their own children to protect their seat at the throne. And so when King Herod finds out that there is another king that's being born, not even in his own timeline, it show, or in his, in his own lineage, it shows how even much further he's willing to go to eliminate this threat that might be posing a threat to his throne. And so King Herod is, has threatened a situation, and he's now on a journey, he's on a mission himself to, to eliminate the threat. And so we see that there are some negative views that may happen, that he wants to remain king. He wants to remain in charge. And so he's going through a journey himself to, to, to protect that. And then lastly and ultimately, we have Jesus on the scene. And Jesus was on a journey to save mankind from our own sin. It says in Matthew 1.21, it says, She will have a son and you will name him Jesus, which means the Lord saves. Because this Jesus is the person who will save all of his people from sin. And we get later in 1 Timothy says, here's a word you can take to heart and depend on. Jesus Christ came in the world <coughs> to save sinners. You see, this trip that Jesus made wasn't for himself. Everybody else had their own motives. Everybody else, they were going because of something that they, they wanted for themselves. But Jesus, this wasn't for him. This wasn't about him. It was for everyone else around him. And it's, it's interesting because, you know, I read, I read some stuff up about there was, there was a time when Queen Elizabeth came to America. Um, and to think of royalty like that, right, that, that, a, that a queen would, would, would grace her presence in, in America. And I found some stats about what had happened during that trip. And I, it, it, was, it, was a, it was a small weekend that she had come. It wasn't a big announcement um, that she was going to be here for, you know, for media and everything to do whatever, but she took a private jet to America, right? And they had said that she had brought with her over 4,000 pounds of luggage on this jet. And what she had packed was, was two outfits at least a day 
while she was here, just to make sure if something was messy or something messed up or if it didn't, if it didn't mess with whatever event she was going to be at for that day, she had that. She also packed things like, um, uh, she packed an outfit for a funeral just in case somebody happened to die and she had to attend a funeral while she was here. She just wanted to be prepared. She also brought lots of, uh, lots of um, plasma. She had, you know, when, if some of you guys might donate plasma, she had actually had a lot of plasma on the jet just in case something drastically happened and she had to be taken to surgery or taken into a hospital that she would have everything that she had needed on this jet for her. She also brought, you know, handfuls of people um, a tailor to make sure that whenever she already changed into whatever outfit she was wearing that day, that the tailor would be able to make any adjustments that they needed to. Uh, she brought her beauticians that would make sure that her hair and that her makeup and everything that she had done, she had brought all these people, and, and it was just for a weekend, right? Um, just to be here and there. Now, what, what this article had said was that it costs not Queen Elizabeth, it costs the, the country of England over $20 million to make this trip happen for the weekend. It didn't cost her that. She didn't buy a plane ticket. She didn't have to carry all this luggage. Like, you know, the whole idea of England, save the queen, protect the queen. Like, it was their obligation to make all these payments and adjustments, right? And it was $20 million for that weekend, right? How many of you guys would be cool not seeing one of your family members over the weekend for $20 million, Right? How many of you guys would be cool never seeing your family member again for $20 million, right? You're like, I'd totally, give me the money, right? I'll be, I'll be fine not seeing them ever again in my life, right? Um, and, and to think that that's the kind of expense, and this is a queen, right? This is royalty. This is somebody, and they made a presence, and it, it made an impact on that country and how much it cost. Well, think about the opposite with Jesus. He's not just a king of a country. He's a, he's a king of all. He's a king of the universe. And he didn't come and drop 20 mil just to show up for a weekend. He didn't show up in a giant palace. He didn't have all these things handed down to him. He didn't have people do these things for him. He presented himself in a manger because there was no room in an inn, in a small town, in the middle of nowhere. And that just gives you a little perspective on the kind of king that we choose to serve and the kind of king that we think about at Christmas time. And what I want us to think about today is that the nativity scene and the baby Jesus, we, we do spend Christmas celebrating Jesus. We celebrate the birth of Jesus. But for you to ever think that Christmas is solely about the birth in itself, you've completely missed the message of Christmas. And you've completely missed the message of the nativity scene. You've completely missed the message of the birth if you think it's only about the birth. You see, because Jesus didn't just stay as a baby. You know, we, we think about, if you guys ever seen the Talladega Nights and there's the prayer where, please bless six pound, eight ounce baby Jesus, you know? And he's like, I like to picture my Jesus as a baby, you know? And, like, and they, they kind of go in that movie and they, they kind of keep it that, but Jesus was never meant to stay as a baby. He was meant to be born as a baby but he was destined to grow into a man that was going to save humanity. And so the message of Christmas that we need to remember is that it's not just about the birth, it's about what the birth represented and the lifestyle that can happen, the hope that can be given because of that opportunity that was made that day. And so what I want us to kind of understand is just as all of these different people were on different journeys, everyone today 
everyone present here, you guys are on a journey yourselves. We're all on a journey. And maybe some of our journeys align with some of these people's journeys. Maybe, maybe you guys are here today because you are Christians and, and you believe in God and you want to worship the king. Like, you want, you want to make that known just like the Magi did. Or maybe you're here because you do think about the birth of Christ and you want to celebrate that and you want to make sure that you're present around Christmas time and church. Um, you know, but just like everybody else, maybe there's some negative connotations going on too. Maybe, maybe you're at a place in your life right now that you're in a journey that you just want to stay king. Maybe you want to eliminate any other threats and you want to still sit at the throne of your life. I don't know where you're at in your journey, but we're all on a journey and Jesus makes that very clear that that's the life that we're going to have, that we're going to be on a journey and that we all too, just like these people, are going somewhere looking for something or listening to someone on this journey. You see, Jesus knew that and he emphasized that all humans are on a journey for the ages. And we may not see our lives as a journey, but that doesn't change the reality that after this life, we're going to land at one of these destinations that our journey has put us on. And the truth that we're going to talk about today and, and the hope that we're going to give today is that how we navigate this journey that we're on right now will determine the eternal destination that we'll choose to land at one day. And so what we're going to kind of talk about today is four secrets that Jesus reveals that keep you and I from getting lost on this journey during Christmas time. You see, the, probably the longest sermon that's recorded in Scripture through Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, even inside of the sermon that Jesus gives, he's trying to let us know this reality about these journeys, about these roads, and he provides some insight that's available on how to not get lost and how to stay on the right road. It's crazy to think about these journeys that all these people in the nativity scene were kind of passing through on, and then in the Sermon on the Mount, and you know, it's in, it's in Matthew 7, and we don't have time to go through the whole, we don't have room, and we don't have time to kind of pick apart this entire sermon today, but we're going to look a little bit at the end when he talks about these destinations and these roads, since we're in the topic of journeys today. And in Matthew 7, verses 13 through 15, and then we're also going to pick up 21 as well, if this is on your notes, it says, you can enter through life only through the narrow gate. The gate to hell is very wide, and there's plenty of room on the road that leads there. Many people go that way, but the gate that opens the way to true life is narrow, and the road that leads there is hard to follow. Only a few people find it. Be careful of false prophets. They come to you and look gentle like sheep, but they're only really dangerous like wolves. Not everyone who calls me Lord will enter God's kingdom. The only people who will enter are those who do what my Father in heaven wants. You see, and, 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 and Jesus gives us some secrets here. He, he, he reveals some things through scripture. They're going to kind of help us from getting lost. And, and the first thing that we're going to talk about today is that the easy road isn't always the right road. The easy road isn't always the right road. He says in verse 13, right, he says <clears throat> that this, this gate is narrow. Um, he said that, there's <clears throat> that many people go on, on the easy road, but the gate that opens to the true life is narrow, and it's hard to follow. You see, he made it clear that not many roads lead to heaven, but in fact, there's only one. And, and, and that can be very frustrating because, you know, a lot of times in life or even in culture, we can look at different denominations, we can look at different religions, and sometimes you can even, you can even Google, like, there's been, there's been images in the past of, like, how all these different denominations have different roads and different paths to heaven. And, the, you know, this is our road because this is our doctrine, this is our, this is our religion, and the, and the, but we're all going to the same place. 
even as a campus minister, sometimes I've been up on SIU's campus and, and I'm cordial with these other campus ministers. And when we're around each other, we're like, hey, man, we're all doing the same thing. We're all going to the same place. But then when I look at the doctrine, I look at the lifestyle that chooses to go against what Scripture says in these campus ministries, I'm like, we're not going to the same place if you choose to live like that, if you choose to stay on that road, if you choose. But when we're together, we're like, well, we're Christians. We're going to be cordial. We're all going to the same place. And it's not just campus ministry. Churches are like that as well. Religions are like that as well. We can be very cordial with one another and say, oh, we're all trying to do the same thing. We're all going to go to the same place. It's just a different path we're going to take. It's just a different lifestyle we get to live. But we're going to go to the same place. Well, Jesus made it very clear that there's only one road. There's only one path. There's only one way to get to that destination. And it's through him and only him. And it's very narrow. He's described himself before in Scripture as the way, the truth, the life, the gate. In Acts 4, Peter even talks about letting his audience know that Jesus is the only way to be saved. And so today, when we look at our lives and we look at these paths that we choose to be on, the way that we choose to live our lives, my question is, what kind of road are you on? Are you on a road that just seems like everybody else is on that road? Or do you find yourself on a, on, on a very narrow road? Do you find yourself going against the grain of what culture is doing? Do you find yourself fighting for what's right versus giving in to what's easy? You know, and, and if you don't really necessarily know where you're at in your relationship with God, you know, it might be a good idea to look at other facets of your life and ask yourself that same question. Because you can get some pretty good indicators on where you're at in life and how that can relate to where you're at with God. You know, relationships, for example. Maybe you're in a marriage or, or, or you have some close friends and, 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 and it's much easier to just distance yourself than to fight through those things. It's a lot easier to not deal with it and just take the easy path and ignore it or just go against it than it is to actually duke it out and fight for it and make it last. I, to, even today, my wife and I got into an argument last night and it got pretty heated. And I'm laying in bed last night being like, dude, I don't even want to talk to her ever again. You know, I was like, never again. I'm just laying in bed being like, I don't, and I can say this because she's not in here right now. So um, she's, she, she's being a servant of the Lord in one of our children's classrooms right now, you know. Um, but I was furious last night and I was like, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to talk to her. You know what I'm going to do? When it's time to go to bed, I ain't even going to come to bed. I'm going to go in the other room. I'm going to play Call of Duty. I'm going to play video games all night long. And then I'm going to wait till she falls asleep, and I'm going to slide in bed so she don't have to talk to me, and I don't have to talk to her. And this is what we're going to do for the next 40 years of our life. This is what it's going to be, because I'm just so tired of this fighting, right? And then we get to church today, and I do the teacher service, and she's in there, and she, you know, she left earlier than me, so we didn't see each other this morning. And so I'm like looking at her, and she's looking at me, and I'm like, I got to talk to you right now. I got to do a lesson right now, so I'm just going to finish this lesson up. And so, and then after that, there's some light problems in the other room. So I was in the room, and she she trapped me in a corner. She says, "Are we going to talk about last night?" And I was like, "Nope." <laughs> I was like, "Nope. I got to I got to worry about this sermon. I can't have two things going on in my head at the same time." And uh, she's like, "Fine." And she like left the room. I was like, "Oh my gosh! Now I have to have this talk before we do the sermon today." So. Luckily, you know, we get here earlier, so we had time to, like, this is a lot that had conspired, you know, over a short amount of time. But we ended up going to that auditorium over there, and we ended up talking for a few minutes about this fight we had last night. And it was funny, because I know Lamade walked in, and Lamade was putting a ladder back, and he saw us in there 
kind of talking, and he got real quiet and tried to set it down and get out of the room. So he wasn't a part. Like, hey, come in here and be a mediator in this fight right now. No. Um, but we talked through it. Did I want to go about it that way? No. Did I want to fight through it? No. But man, I'm going to tell you right now, I feel so much more at peace with where me and my wife are at right now than if I was to get up here on stage and not have those talks this morning. Knowing that we were still not eye to eye, that we were still not, we were still not at peace with one another, it, it, it's almost frustrating to think that my mindset went there to rather do the easy thing and ignore and deflect than to fight through something that I knew God wanted me to fight through. Because now I can leave today at peace, and now I can know that my wife and I are on good terms, and I know that we, we apologize for things that we shouldn't have said, and, and we committed to being better for one another in a, sm- in a small amount of time. But how do you handle relationships? Do you tend to put yourself on an easy road that you distance and you don't fight through that stuff? Or do you find yourself on a small, narrow road that not a lot of people are willing to do that kind of stuff? What about your work life? Do you choose to have an ethic in your life that puts you on a narrow road that's diligent and that's disciplined and that's responsible and that's willing to work hard? Or, or do you tend to sit back and hope that money comes to you freely, you know? Hope that one day you'll just be blessed with the job of your dreams, that you're not willing to work for those kind of things, that everybody else is finding ways to just get, collect some cash. So it, it, it'll eventually come to me. Everything will work itself out. That's the attitude of somebody on a wide road. It'll all work itself out. It'll all work itself out. And we can look at these different areas in our lives and ask yourself, what kind of person are you? Are you somebody that tends to say, it'll all work itself out? Or are you a person that tends to say, I've got to fight to stay on this narrow road. I've got to do some hard things to stay on this narrow road. I've got to look differently than what everyone else looks like because it's a different, small road that not many people find. You know, that, that phrase, it'll all work itself out, is very similar to, we're all going to the same place. It really is, Right? At some point, we'll, just, we'll all wake up in the same place one day. It'll all figure itself out. One day, it'll be what I want it to be. It's the same kind of phrase, but it's the same kind of road, and it's the very wide one, and it gets us in trouble very quickly and where our destination is going to be one day. So ask yourself and understand that Jesus is warning us that easy road isn't always the right road. Number two, getting lost is a real possibility. Getting lost is a real possibility. It says in the second part of that, verse 14, it says, and the road that leads there is hard to follow. Only a few, only a few people follow, find it. See, it's a real possibility that you can be on this journey. You can have this plan to live a life for God and, and your lifestyle can model that and you can go underneath that water and say, man, I'm gonna stay on this road. And, and then you can find yourself sidetracked and off that road real quick and saying, how did I get here? How, how did my life get to where it's at right now? Does anyone wake up and say, I want to be lost today, <laughs> right? Does anybody get in their car and say, you know, I just feel like getting lost today, you know? Nobody says that. Nobody thinks that way. But it still happens. Why? How? How does being lost happen? Well, It's when our mind's somewhere it's not supposed to be. It's when we choose to get sidetracked. 
And just like when you're in a car, like I'm the worst at this, like you don't talk to me in the car whenever I'm trying to go somewhere because I'm going to miss every exit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get so focused on the conversation, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be missing exits left and right. Even if the GPS is right in front of me telling me when to turn, I'm watching that little blue line telling me which way to go, I will still completely miss stuff because my mind is completely more focused on the conversation or I, I can just be sitting there thinking in silence and Katie could be in the car. I'm just thinking about like the stupidest stuff. And I'm like, you know, how, the, the whole like, if, if a bear makes a sound in the woods, does anybody hear it? I'm just gonna be like, I mean, he's gotta hear it. I mean, somebody's in the woods, they gotta, they gotta know. But like, if nobody's there, does it like, and then she's like, hey, hey, we just missed something. And she's like, what were you doing? I was like, oh, I don't know. I was, I was, I, I was thinking about something else. You know, I'm not gonna tell her what I was thinking about, but it was real important. Just think that it was important things that I, that I think through, right? And that's what happens with our lives. We get so focused on things that we think are important or that our minds take us to and we lose sight of the road that we're supposed to stay on. We can get so caught up in work because we think it's so important and then we zip 20 years of our lives into being a workaholic and saying, where's the product of my family? Where's the product of God in my household? We can get so focused on on all this time we invest in, in media and, 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 and culture and, and looking so much to see other people and see who they are and, what, and, 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 and all, these, all these bloggers and, and all, these, all these influencers and we, can, and we can follow all these people on TikTok or Snapchat or Facebook and we can watch them and just look at their lives and then we can look at our life 10 years down the road and say, what, how come I haven't developed and matured? I've been so focused and, and so sidetracked on watching other people's lives that I've completely neglected that my life needs to matter. My maturity needs to take precedence. How did I get so far lost? See, nobody plans on getting lost, but it always happens, and it's a great possibility when it comes to the narrow road that we have in our relationship with God. And Jesus warns us of that. It can be very difficult to stay on this road, and that's why it's so important for community and have the people in our lives to, to keep us on track. It's so important for people to be like, hey, man, you're kind of sidetracking a little bit. You might want to really reevaluate what matters most. You might want to get your eyes back on the road because you're starting to look at things that don't really matter that much anymore. Jesus warns us of that in this sermon. Number three not all directions are good directions. Not all directions are good directions. Verse 15, it says, be careful of false prophets. They come to you and look gentle like sheep, but they're really dangerous like wolves. You see, <clears throat> Jesus wants us also to understand that the directions that we are given in life are very important on who gives them and what they're trying to get when they give them to us. See, not all directions are good directions. Sometimes directions can even have a good intent, but the directions given are terrible directions, right? Like, there's been a lot of times where we've, like, hosted events here at our church and our campus ministry, and, you know, there's a lot of students from SIUE that are new to the area that have transferred in from, you know, whatever city they come from, and they're not very familiar. Um, most people, most college kids in general just don't even know roads. Like, if I was to say, you know, 157 is right down here, they're like, what does that mean? You know, like, they don't understand roads and numbers and things like that, and so if they don't understand it, but then like they have a desire to have their friends come to like a cross chat or like the church and they get on the phone with them. They're like, hey, man, like here, here's where you, you see that. You see any trees nearby you? OK, well, you definitely want to see trees because there's trees where I'm at. OK, and 
and keep going straight a little bit. You see any stop signs? Okay, I, mean, you're, I saw a stop sign or two on my way in as well, so you're, you're, in a good, you're in a good place, right? And what ends up happening is the directions, the intent is still there. Like, they want them here at the building, but the directions are terrible. I don't know how many times I've had people in, in our college ministry, whether it be here or at my house, they'll be on the phone with somebody, and they're like, Jake, can you just explain them? Can you just explain how to get here? I can't, I, can't, I don't know these roads, I don't know where it is. And they'll be running around in circles, and I'll grab the phone, I'm like, hey, all right, what do you see around you? Okay, so you're just right down the road. You just need to turn left right there, and you'll be here at my house. All right, thanks. And I'm like, and they're like, oh, man, that was crazy how, how quick that works. And it's funny because I think that sometimes even as Christians, like, we can want the best for people. We don't want the worst out of our friends. We don't want them to be, you know, I just really want some terrible friends, man. So you know what? I'm going to give them some advice and make them real terrible friends. You know, like, we don't say that about our friends. We don't want to give bad direction for bad insight. But sometimes we give direction because we don't know where it's going to lead. We're like, well, I think this might be the best thing to do. But if you don't know that it's Jesus' way and it might be your best way and your small amount of limited knowledge in your relationship with God, then it may not be the best direction to give them. It may just be what you think is best. You know, I talked about this a couple weeks ago with my family and the way that I was raised. My mom did her best, you know, with the way that she raised us. But what my mom had done was not godly. By any means. And I've had conversations. I literally had to talk with my mom the other day about this. I said, Mom, you did the best with what you could. But the way that you had raised me was not in a way that I think Jesus would have raised me. And we, it, got, it got into a pretty emotional conversation. And I said, Mom, your intent and your heart was in the right place. But the directions that you gave were outside of what Scripture would have told you to do. And I said, it's not too late for you to have an opportunity to find what a relationship with God can do for your life because it's been teaching me differently about my life. And you see a different direction for my life because I found different direction in my life. And I think it's an important note for us to say it's not always about the intent and it's not always about the heart because we do want the best out of each other. You want the best for yourself. But maybe the directions that you've been getting aren't coming from the best sources, aren't coming from the most mature, aren't coming from the greatest place. But I'm here to challenge you guys today that whatever directions you're getting and whatever you're getting them from and what you're taking them from, I encourage you to have Jesus as a source of your directions, to have his insight as a source of your directions. And maybe you're in a place that you're like, I don't know Jesus. I don't know what he has in store for me. I don't know how to trust him. I don't know why to trust him. But we're going to talk about that a little bit because... There's two, there's two different things that you can trust Jesus on. And one is you can trust Jesus because of the evidence. You know, maybe you don't know Jesus, but I'm telling you today and I'm pleading with you, you can trust Jesus because of the evidence. And the first part of that is you can find evidence found in Scripture. So you can look up and down the Bible. You can look through Scripture. One, one of the main reasons that I chose to follow Christ, that I became a Christian, that I chose to live a life for Jesus was that the Bible itself is historically accurate. And every time that there's a prophecy in Scripture in the Old Testament, it had come to fruition at some point in Scripture. The Bible itself is a giant book of truth. And these things actually happened. And there are, there are hardly any religions that I've ever come in, in contact with that are even close to aligning with the source of, of honesty and truth and validity that Scripture has presented itself to. 
that there are so every single prophecy that's happened in, in Scripture has come to fruition. And you can find the evidence every time you look through Scripture, you can find that. And there's, there's such a hope in knowing that this book that we choose to follow, this Bible that's been given and inspired by God, it, it actually happened. And you're like, well, how did it actually happen? Maybe it's just a big storybook that maybe, maybe God had people over time just write in here. Well, the second point of that is because you can find the evidence in history as well. That this isn't just a storybook. That there are sources outside of the Bible Historically accurate things that the Smithsonian Institute chooses to go, that's, that's where one, of our, one of the highest places of historical evidences in the world, the, the Smithsonian Institute, and they keep the, all these artifacts and these resources that they tend to more than anything, more than any resource that we have on this earth, for historical accuracy, we look at the Bible. Okay, we don't look at a time and a place and a date and a destination. Okay, let's look in Scripture like literally, non-Christians, non, you know, people that choose not to follow Scripture, look at the Bible to prove history, to find timelines, to find dates on artifacts that they find in history, because it is the most historically accurate book on this earth. And if, if, if there's anything to trust Jesus about, it's just to even know that there is evidence that all of this actually happened. The crucifixion actually happened. His relationship, him being born here on earth actually happened. There is accounts of all of this stuff inside and outside of the Bible. That's a great reason to trust Jesus is because there is evidence as to who he was and what he really was and how the prophecies actually claimed that he was what he was and that he did what he did before he even did it. Okay, well, that's cool, right? Universally, that sounds really cool, right? It says in Acts 26, it says, I'm not crazy, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, so I can speak openly to him. I'm certain he knows everything that's been going on. After all, it was not done in secret. These things were done around the world, and history knows about it. This isn't something fake that we just talk about we make up at church to get people to give us money so we can just create this, this false narrative so people can get paid and we can just make ourselves look better. This is all history and it's so true and the evidence is there, not just in this building, not just in that Bible, but the world knows it. Okay, well, that's cool. But what does that mean to me, right? Well, the second reason you trust Jesus is because of the road he traveled for you. It's cool enough to know that the evidence is there, that this was a real dude, and this is the real deal. But what does that mean to me? Well, if that's not enough to trust Jesus because of him being who he actually is, that history and scripture proves it, well, hopefully you can be moved to know that he didn't just come here to show that stuff, but he came here to travel a road and walk a journey himself for you specifically. Can you think, can you think, even think like that for a minute? Like, think like your life doesn't matter at all. And you're literally just walking a road. You're walking through life for somebody else. Like, think like that for a second, right? Maybe you have a spouse and you're like, literally, I have laid down my life and I'm just going to live the rest of my life for you. Everything that I do with my life is to make sure that you, my spouse, is loved for, is cared for, is taken care of. Maybe you have children, right? And you're like, as soon as I had my first son or my first daughter, my life didn't really matter anymore. 
And everything I did, the work that I did, the house that I built for us, the, the lifestyle that I had created for us, everything, it's not really about me anymore. Everything in my journey, in my walk, is now for this child, right? Think about maybe even some of your closest friends. and be like, you know, I don't really do anything for myself anymore. I just do everything for my friends. You would think that's like, at some level, that's kind of crazy, right? Maybe it's kind of cool maybe to do it for your kids, but like you're still a human being, right? Like you should still have your own desires and goals and dreams, Maybe you're married and you have a spouse, but like you should still want something for yourself, right? Or to do this for your friends, like they have their own lives that they can do it for themselves. Why would you have to sacrifice your life for that? It just sounds kind of crazy and, and, and kind of selfish, right? To think that other people couldn't do something for themselves. Well, Jesus came and he walked that road and he traveled a journey for each and every one of us. He didn't come here for any intent on his own. It was everything for us. The entire life that Jesus lived was not for himself, but it was for us. He traveled a road and he lived a life that did not please self, that did not have selfish ambition, did not have own goals and dreams and desires. Think about all the ambitions that you have in life and understand Jesus had none of those. His only dream was to come for you. That was it. And he did that in two different ways. He did two different roads. The first road was from heaven to earth. He made a trip from heaven to earth. And maybe you don't don't think too much about this, about Jesus. You know, we, we know he was born in a manger, and we know that he was a baby here on earth, but sometimes we don't think about what that actually means that he did. How many in this room want to go to heaven? Okay. Now, how many of you guys, once you get to heaven, you want to, like, dip out? Right? We don't want to leave. <laughs> like, once we're, once we're there, we don't want to, we don't want to ever leave. It's, it's meant to be a perfect place. There's nothing outside of it. We don't, there's no, we're not going to leave to go make a quick trip run, right? It's like we miss the sodas down there, right? We don't want to come back down here just for a little bit. Like, it's, it's perfect. There's, there's no reason for us to ever want to leave. It is literally paradise for eternity. And there's it, more things than we could ever dream or desire. It will be in heaven for us, and it will be given to us, and we'll be blessed because of it. We will never have a desire to ever leave heaven, ever for eternity. But Jesus left. Can you imagine leaving heaven? Just that thought. And it wasn't for any selfish reason. He left for somebody else. He left for you. He left for me. He left for all of us. That's an incredible act of love to have somebody leave heaven for you. But then he takes it a step further because of the second journey he takes. And that journey was from Jerusalem to Golgotha. You see, he left, and then he died here. And that is an incredible 
image to think. It wasn't just enough for this, for this man to leave heaven and come to earth. When he could have, you know, lived a good long life. For most of us, we know we're going to die. It's going to happen. It's just a cycle of life. But for most of us, we want to be able to live a full life. And for us, the definition of a full life is, you know, we're in our, we're in our 80s or our 90s, and we have kids, we have grandkids, we've, we've already built up a life, and we're laying on our deathbed and being like, you know, I, I lived a full life. Like, I, I got to experience everything in its full joy. Like, and then when we die, and then our family members are left behind, they say, you know, he went out. He was at peace. It was his time. You know, we, we want that kind of, that lifestyle, that cycle in our families. But Jesus didn't get that. Jesus didn't have people at his funeral saying, you know, he lived a full life. He, got a, he, lived, he lived his entire life out. His kids and grandkids, like, man, they love him. They got to spend a lot of time with him. He got to build up a lot of stuff. That's not what happened. Jesus was cut off from the land of the living. Jesus didn't have any descendants. Jesus didn't get to do the things that we desire and we aspire to have. Jesus never married. Jesus never had these things that we dream of having in a full, long life. Jesus came here, but also his life was cut short. And it wasn't because of a quick accident. It wasn't because of a cancer. It wasn't because of, of something. It was because he chose to suffer. He chose to be tortured. He chose to go through this pain because he loved us. He chose to walk a road that was short. Put up that first road if you guys still have it. Look at the, look at the difference between these two roads, right? This giant road, this is one of the largest roads in the world. That's not two different ways. That's, that's literally one direction that they're all going. I can't even count how many rows that is, right? But you see, you see, all, of those, you see all of those lanes and all those cars. There's, there's probably a thousand cars on that screen, right? And how packed it is and how, tr and, and how, how everybody's on it because it's just, you, you, don't, you don't build a wide road if not a lot of people are going to walk on it, Right? And not a lot of people are going to drive on it. You, you have to build it to accommodate the mass amount that's going to happen on it. Because that's, what that's the road that everybody's going to need to be on. That's the road that's going to get everybody to where they need to go as fast as they can. Right? Well, here's a second road. Put that second one up. This road is called Via Dolorosa. And this is what they believe is the road that Jesus walked from Jerusalem to Golgotha on his way to be crucified as he carried his cross. You probably couldn't fit a car on that road. One car, let alone the thousands that we just watched or witnessed on the screen. And I don't know, this might just be me putting my own imagery on this, but maybe this is Jesus even in himself understanding that there's a narrow road and a wide road in life. And Jesus shows come live this life, and he didn't get on the track that everybody else is on with the longevity of life, with the family, the generations, the descendants, the spouses. He didn't, he didn't come to just jump in a car and sit there with everybody else. But I think Jesus came to walk 
a very narrow road. And it was different than anyone else had ever walked. Nobody else was willing to be on that road. But he did it because he loved you. And Jesus walked this road in hopes that maybe one day you would get off that giant, busy interstate and walk this road with him. Because this road leads to heaven. This road leads to a relationship with that man that chose to do this for you. This road one day will take you to heaven to be alongside him in forever paradise. But the challenge today is during this Christmas season, what are we going to choose to do with our journey? What, are we, what kind of road are we going to be on? Because the last point that Jesus wants us to understand is getting my direction is useless unless you follow my direction. Jesus explains, seeing what I did, watching what I did, knowing what I did is completely useless unless you're going to follow it. Unless you're going to get on that road with me, knowing that this is what I did makes no sense to your life. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is the plan that all men die once. After that, they will stand before God and be judged. Both of those roads, everybody that walks them is going to die. But both of those roads have a completely different destination. And so my challenge to you guys today is through this Christmas season to not just look at your lives and say it's Christmas time, thank you baby Jesus, thank you for the holiday, thank you for the family, thank you for those things. But my challenge for you today, whether you're a Christian or you're not, you can look at your life and say, I need to make sure that the road I'm on matters. I need to make sure that the road I choose to live on, the road I choose to walk is one that I'm going to be okay with when that time comes for me to die. Because whatever road I'm on when I die is probably the destination that I'm going to be going to. And if you want to know more about Jesus, you want to know more about that walk, you want to know, it, it may seem lonely, and I'm telling you right now, it is in the world, but man, God provided a ministry and a church and a home for people who choose to walk that road. And I believe we have a piece of that here at the crossings, that there are people in this congregation that are trying to walk on that narrow road, and they're trying to do it together. And if you've never been exposed to relationships like that, that aren't just trying to involve themselves in culture, that they're not just trying to fit in, they're not just trying to do what everybody else is doing, but that they're trying to live something completely different, this might be the place for you. Maybe you're finally at a point in your life where you're like, I've tried everything and it's not working. I'm not happy with my life. I don't like where I'm at. The destination that I've been on, if it keeps going like this, I'm not, I don't know what's gonna happen. This might have been the best case for your life to show up today and say, you know what? Maybe it's time to jump onto a different road and maybe there's some people here that can help me. So I encourage you guys right now, if you guys could pull out that communication card. There's a, there's a card stock piece of paper, a little thicker piece of paper in your guys' bulletins. This is your opportunity to change direction in your life. This is your opportunity to start looking at your life and say, maybe it's time for me to get off this giant wide road that everybody else is on, 
that I feel like I've been suffocating, that I feel like I've just been in a standstill, that I feel like I'm not happy with what's been going on, maybe it's time for me to take a detour and finally get on a small, narrow road that's going to change my life forever. And I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know if it's maybe you, you've been around for a while and, and you've, been, you've been exploring our church and, and you want to know more about that community. And maybe, you ch- maybe check you'd like to know more about our small groups and find some people that are trying to live that life and be on that road. Maybe, maybe you're in a position in your life where you're like, you know, I, it sounds like what you just talked about with Jesus, like if that's really what happened, like I don't know a lot about scripture, I don't know a lot about Jesus, but it sounds like if that's something that a man is willing to do for me, I want to know more about him. And maybe you check you like a personal Bible study and somebody can sit down with you and walk you through the kind of road, the kind of life that Jesus lived while he was here. Because there's a lot that happened in Jesus' life between the birth and the crucifixion. And that's what the Crossings Church tries to live by is what happened in between. We're grateful for the birth. We're convicted because of the crucifixion so we choose to find and live by the in-between. That's Jesus' lifestyle. So I don't know what you need today, but I encourage you guys to fill out that card. What we're gonna do is in a minute, we're gonna have the worship team come up and sing a song. It's gonna give you guys time to fill out that card. And I encourage you guys today, if you, if you guys would like to come tonight at five o'clock, we're gonna have that worship seminar going on here. Um, and so just be a great time to even put into practice and, just, and, and maybe feel moved by what Jesus has done in your life to give him a little worship, to give him a little love of, of things that he has done in your life. For me, it's hard to look back and want to go back to my old life after knowing the things that Jesus has done for me. And it's so easy for me to get sidetracked and detoured to go back to that. But man, I'm so grateful to have a church and a congregation and a ministry and a community of people that challenge me and keep me on the path that I'm dreamed to be on because God has destined me for that. Let's pray. God, I just want to thank you so much for Christmas season, for the birth of Jesus, um, but God, I'm so grateful that I have, I've, I've matured and I've learned so much about Christmas that it is so much more than a birth. It's about a relationship. It's about a sacrifice. It's about, it's about sending a message of life change. Um, and God, since I've picked that up, man, it's, it's changed my life so much, and I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful to have a church of, of brothers and sisters that go through the same struggles, go through the same sidetrack things, go through the same distractions that I go through. And God, we just, we challenge ourselves and we correct ourselves and we, we try to stay on that path as, as easy as possible. Um, but God, it's, it's just so much easier with community. And God, I pray today that our, the people visiting with us, the people that are getting to know us here at the church, God, that they'll respond to you on those cards in a way that helps them get on that road as well, that helps them find some peace this holiday season. Um, life isn't gonna be easier with you but we can find a peace of mind and a hope with you, Lord. Um, but man, life is definitely not easy without you. So thank you again for your son. Thank you again for Jesus coming on the cross and dying for us. And thank you again for the life that we can have because of that, the road we can be on because of that, Lord. I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.